forgive Jordan? No, Michael. Uh, I didn't know. I don't know. Maybe he's starting an airline. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 442 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined today by Seth Miller. How you doing, Seth? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Doing all right. Doing yeah. all right. It's, uh, it's a nice, cool day here in the Pacific Northwest. That's we weird. It's, it's wonderful. I'm not going to complain. Yeah. We actually <laughs> almost had reasonable weather over the weekend here. <laughs> First non-raining weekend since Memorial Day. I would I would love a rainy, rainy weekend. Whatever. <laughs> uh, you got some follow-up for us on Global Airlines. I do. Uh, talked uh, after our conversation a few weeks back. I finally wrote the version of that story that I've been trying to get out, um, highlighting some of the, we'll say, challenges with their published business plan. Uh, I was contacted uh, after I wrote that by their director of corporate affairs, and he wanted me to know that the uh, the document in question, I want to say disavowed because they admit that you know it was published and shared and was theoretically real at the time. But it's mm. not their plan anymore at all. Okay, that's great. Do they share a new plan with you? No. <laughs> and he wanted me to know that despite me asking, there's lots of other journalists that also want to know. Mm. I had no point right. I say only share it with me, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but the, the most important thing to note here is, quote, things and the world have moved on, end quote. So we're no longer talking about the pack of lies we published in 2021 things have moved on so do you feel any more confident in their business model since they haven't shared it well i mean i was the one thing that confirmed is the gamer class cabin which was Mm -hmm. always stupid is not gonna happen oh okay so like cool good glad they made that progress um do i have any confidence in them no because the same guy that thought that was a good idea is still in charge (laughs) and Uh to the point the guy who thought lying about their partnerships, basically name dropping everybody, including saying they were in advanced discussions with companies they had literally never talked to, is still in charge. And that's you got to ask a lot of questions if that's really who you want to be doing business with. Do they have any major like investors that are openly saying that they're supporting them or backing them? I have not seen any public information on where the money comes from. Okay, I, I'm I'm interested to know like is what. What is their financial backing? Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. What kind of money laundering is it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Fair question. Um, yeah. So that's fun. That's fascinating. Maybe maybe we'll get some follow up to this. <laughs> um, let's talk about some new stuff. Uh, while we were, I mean, we had recorded a, a an interview, um, and so we had uh, this this late breaking news came shortly after we actually recorded that, and uh, I don't think any of us were in the mood to record anymore that day. So United is starting uh, some new routes, restarting some old routes, uh, and doubling down on others. Yeah, so this is interesting, right? The the big the sort of headline was the Manila route, San Francisco Manila, and someone says maybe that was operated back in the eighties. I don't I don't go back that far. Um, yeah, but either way, uh, starting in end of October when the IATA season switches, United will have a daily service. Uh, relatively good timing on it. Uh, there's some debate as to whether the summer seasonal 5 a.m. arrival into Manila is good or not, but I think it's 
better than the alternatives uh, given the San Francisco departure and arrival times. Uh, it's a night departure, arrives plus two uh, from San Francisco, and the night departure thing matters. Uh, Taipei is going to become double daily from San Francisco. Yep. Los Angeles is going to get a Hong Kong service restored. And Los Angeles is also going to now have both Tokyo airports served when the northern winter season starts again last Saturday of October. So a lot going on there. Let's let's talk about Hong Kong first. Okay. Um, I, I, I mean, I think we've I think everyone can kind of assume part of this is they can't operate Dulles, Chicago, Newark, Hong Kong. Uh, they never did operate Dulles, Hong Kong, as far as I know, but they can't operate any of those um, because of the polar route and right. Russian airspace uh but they want service to hong kong through another hub i'm guessing and la and just more capacity in general i think san francisco is already double daily yeah and and la you know historically i think la had a hong kong flight uh, yeah a long time ago um so they're bringing that back uh interesting about that actually when i went to hong kong for the first time where i like blue oh really yeah it's on your nice and weird lag in our audio so we may be overlapping yeah i flew it on united the first time i went i went for Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year in 2008, if I remember correctly, which is right when they were operating. That It was actually a relatively short run on that flight, and it was cheap at the time. I think I paid 600 round trip from Newark. So uh, maybe that's why. But um, yeah, it, that's a very interesting situation. Uh, oh, double daily to Singapore also for United? I forgot about that. Uh, from San Francisco? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's been around for a while. Yeah, I just, in naming the double daily places from oh, yeah. to Asia, from, I forgot about it, in Sydney. Yeah. Um, there's a, I got a link to a good story from uh, Brush Snyder, Cranky Flyer, about all this. But yeah, it's, there's a lot of extra Asia picking up here. Um, the only interesting bit, you know, counter to that is that we're, we haven't seen uh, Honolulu Narita come back yet. But A&A has a ton of lift. Yeah, A&A has multiple A380s a day, uh, way more lift than everybody else combined, and that's part of the joint venture. So easy for United yeah. to take a pass there. The The Taipei flight is interesting because it leaves San Francisco at, I think it's it's fairly late at night again. Um, so it's an early morning arrival plus yep. two into Taipei, uh, which is kind of opposite of... Uh, the current flight, which is, I think it leaves at like two in the afternoon and lands at like 5 p.m. next day or something like that. Um, it's actually really good for connections, the the new flight. Yeah, I, I I like the late night departure, early morning arrival, even though it's plus two, you theoretically lose an extra day. But I like that for a schedule going to Asia. Um, yep. that there is a challenge if that place is your final destination you don't get a hotel and you, you can't check into a hotel right away um uh-huh. but for onward connections like you noted super valuable um and just in general i think i like a departure time that is at night um yep. and similarly it's well timed for the return because the plane lands you know early morning it does a couple hours and then it turns around and comes back you land early morning and have onward connections available available depending you know assuming you don't live in san francisco yeah exactly no i'm I'm with you i think uh i think it's great i i'm interested to see what united does with ava uh, as far as partnership maybe they'll strengthen it up a little bit i know there's code sharing and stuff that they already do but 
I feel like they could relieve some of, I mean, everything's having to be forced through Tokyo or Singapore right now, really for onward connections. Um, and if they could really lean on Ava to, to supplement that, it gives people more options, um, to get where they're going. And you know, there's some interesting challenges. One of them is, you know, the ANA partnership is a joint venture, right? They've got antitrust immunity. They can coordinate schedules, all that fun stuff. Uh, they don't have that with Singapore with Ava right now. And I do wonder if establishing that would somehow ch- like eat away at the other joint venture mm-hmm. in a way that's not right. Or do you do a try you know, a third party joint, you know, have multiple parties in it. I'm not sure either of those works real well. Um, the joint venture is limited in terms of destinations it can cover uh, basically based on government approvals at on all sides. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, Taipei is just, it's, it's, it's actually a convenient, it's a very convenient airport. Um, it's yeah. the nicest airport, but it's convenient. Um, and, but it's also, Ava serves a lot of destinations with big planes multiple times a day, kind of like ANA does, but you're, you're four hours south, which is, which is nice. So, yeah. Um, so if you're trying to get to like places like, uh, I'm thinking of, you know, Vietnam, uh, Thailand, it's a little bit shorter of a, of a hop. So you're already much above like from, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, and then for the Tokyo flights, I, I'm not super surprised that they are going to do both flights or both city or airports to Tokyo out of LA. I'm not super surprised by that. Um, I, I think it gives people more, again, more options is good. Absolutely. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, obviously, the big question is: the big question is, will the demand really be there? And right, um, big risk. Well, uh, let's let's talk about that because ANA offers weird, yeah, ANA offers weird connections out of both airports, right? Like some stuff they don't serve out of Haneda at all, um, but they do serve it out of Narita. Um, so maybe they're going to use Narita as a connecting place. I don't know. Sure, why not? <laughs> I, I I think Narita is. Better for connections in the sort of onward longish fall stuff, or used to be. Um, yeah, it there's both. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Um, let, let's let's talk about Manila. I I I was a little dumbfounded by this route. Um, you you actually made a post about how it's you know United's been looking for this uh, route for a while since 2019 pre COVID. Um, and has gone through even before that. But yeah, yeah, they've 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 jumped through a lot of hoops to to try and get this route. Um, is there that much demand for Manila? Um, yeah, I mean, yes, I guess. I don't know. We'll we're about to find out. It's part of it is the business travel, right? There are a bunch of call centers there and other things where there's reason for good connections. Part of it is it's a relatively well traveled VFR mm-hmm. market, yep. friends and relatives. Um, so both of those bring some value to United, uh, or anyone flying there, uh, at the end of the day, Philippines air has been desperately trying to get more service into the United States. They've been adding, trying to add routes, trying to get markets, trying to get code shares set up. Um, that's my favorite part about this is basically every time any, they tried to do anything, United said like, that's cool. We don't mind, but someone's got to let us in too. And nothing happened and nothing happened on all the other applications until now United has this and couple hours after the press release went out, United officially withdrew all their, their objections. Huh? So 
arguably this is good for American Airlines and Philippine Airlines and other partners as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, your point about business traffic, I think, is, is a good one. My company has a call center there, but they also have like a big service center. Like there's like a, you know, we, we do yeah. a lot of work uh, in out, outsourced work in, in Manila um, in the Philippines. So, I mean, I've actually part of my job has been looking at what can we what other kind of job, you know, can we bring to Manila? What other kind of work can we bring there? So it's interesting. Um, I guess from a cargo perspective, too, it's probably pretty, pretty lucrative. What's the size of plane they're bringing? Is it a triple seven? Yeah, seven seven W. They're using the big boy. Yeah. So, I mean, from a cargo perspective, they can do quite a bit. Um, and so maybe it's maybe it's going to become it's you know going to become a new uh, lucrative business for for uh, United. I don't know. So, uh, tell me about the British Airways retrofit of their A three eights. They're actually going to do it, uh, which is good news. So we're going to get new business seats and yeah. They're saying uh, over the next couple of years, they're going to retrofit their cabin. Uh, big project that arguably the most significant factor or impact of that beyond the general comfort for passengers is it means they think they're going to keep them around a while, right? You don't retrofit a plane if you're not going to keep it for seven to 10 years. Um, you know, pending another pandemic or other crazy external uh, impact. But yeah. I mean, they're doing they're doing some of the West Coast U.S. stuff, San Francisco, L.A. with the A380s. I think they have one or two JFK services made nope. with it. Or JFK they, doesn't get it. Uh, and then they're they got South Africa and I think oh they don't get it. Okay, um, but so yeah, yeah. And so South Africa, I think uh, Singapore gets an A380, maybe Tokyo. I mean, they they have they have quite a few. Um, I mean, I think from a capacity standpoint, they need the plane. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. They've got the 380s, obviously. They've got some 350s. They've got some 777s. Um, I think part of it now is looking at the market and what can, and 787s too, they've got. But like, looking at the market now, what can we get as a new big airplane on time at a reasonable price with whatever performance? And so even when the 380 isn't a super efficient aircraft, they've got them in, you know, in hand and have basically, uh, amortized all the costs so even with the you know investment to make it fresh inside that's still not so terrible given what it can do um i haven't actually been on very 3d i know i know Foz is a big fan of the the business class and the setup they have uh he finds the seat very comfortable so it'll be interesting to see your people's opinions after they put the new seat in yeah i think it's supposed to be more or less the new business mm-hmm. suite like the the new world business class seat i'm i don't mind the old one is the yin yang climb over people that so many people seem to hate. I don't mind it, yeah. but, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then Delta has introduced something I think is kind of interesting. It's a, it's a small business program. Um, what, what's the details on this? Cause I'm, I'm reading through it. And I'm like, Oh, this sounds like a, it sounds good. Yeah. Basically you can earn points for a business on top of the sky miles points that you are okay. normally, um, the caveat is they've had it for a long time. It used to be called Sky Bonus, and uh, they're migrating to this. Sky Bonus was American has a similar one. I forget what it's called. Business Advantage. Um, United had one, or Continental had one as well. I'm not sure if United kept it. Um, and basically, all of them used a different scheme, a different set of points and rewards and whatever. And so it used to be like you earned one token per flight or whatever and then 10 chits got you a 
lounge pass or something like that. It was a very different set of uh, metrics. And so the sky bonus now they're saying like convert your sky bonus points to sky miles. And it's a one to three ratio uh, or three to one. I should say the bad way, whatever it is. So, you know, 3000 and it's like you can get either. I think someone said you can get either 100,000 points or a thousand dollar e-credit, which is, you know, acknowledging that their points are worth a penny each, I guess, but not great. I wonder, I mean, is this, do you think this is a move maybe to try and try and simplify it for folks? I mean, one of the things with these business programs is I think they, they struggle, uh, to, to give their value, uh, to, to businesses. Um, you know, more, uh, other than, oh, we'll give you top tier elite status for some of these programs that are out there. Um, so uh, maybe this is just something to streamline it and make it simpler to understand what you're getting rather than having to redeem the points or something. I don't know. Well, and it, it changes. Yes. It streamlines and simple streamlines and simplifies. It changes the metrics, right? Like some of the awards that they used to have were on a different invent at a different inventories. And it's a different scheme when you start switching much more focus to revenue based redemption, having, you know, saver award space only, in your business program isn't great. Now, can they still have lounge access passes or elite status for sale through the program? And how are they going to value that? We'll see. Mm-hmm. But it certainly makes the travel rewards more consistent with the regular program. But also, like, they used to do upgrades and things like like th- There was a lot of things that the, the legacy small business programs offered that basically the parent loyalty program has gotten, I don't say gotten rid of, but has gotten rid of, right? They're just not prevalent. They're not a normal part of the experience anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I would love to look, maybe even look at this as what are, what are Delta's, you know, small business or corporate customer numbers like? I mean, do they share that at all? No. And this, so this program is for unmanaged small businesses, mm-hmm. right? So that's the, you know, you or me, or not you because you have a company, but I'm not sure if you guys have a corporate contract, but I right, like, Anyone can sort of sign up for these, mm, yeah. As long as you're willing to share your EIN tax number with yep. them, so yeah, um, cool. I mean, I think it's I think it's interesting. We'll see how it plays out for people. Um, if you if you're a listener and you use the small business program, we'd love to hear how what you think about it. Um, so yeah, uh, the House FAA bill. Uh, there's some stuff coming out. Uh, that's interesting in this. Yeah, so it it passed right. I mean, that's the yeah. big deal. Um is they finally got it off, you know, through the House. It's still got to get reconciled with the Senate version, and the Senate is not so happy about, particularly the one bit that did make it through on the House FAA bill, which is raising the pilot retirement age to 67. Other things that were on the table, additional slots, and including uh, perimeter-exempt slots at DCA National in D.C., so Ronald Reagan, Washington National Airport, uh, those did not make it through. Uh, Delta wanted that a lot. American was like, yeah, we'll take some. We think that's maybe a good idea. Uh, United was very opposed because of Dulles and, uh, the locals, the local airport and the local, the airport actually doesn't want them. That's my favorite part of this. It's like, if you ask the Washington airport authority, they will say, no, we do not want more flights at this airport. And Congress sort of keeps trying to force it on them. <laughs> so that's pretty new. <laughs> uh, 
And then uh, also no change to the 1,500-hour rule in terms of flight hours for pilots before they can be a commercial pilot. Oh, wow. So that was up for debate. There were a lot of different things going on. At the end, one of the things that got close to getting included was a rule to allow more sim time to count as opposed to actual airtime. And the argument made there was, in a simulator, we can give them things to respond to and test them about how they do on different experiences versus hours of towing a banner up and down yeah. the beach. Um, like, right, like fly in a circle for six hours or spend that same six hours of logged time troubleshooting things and whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I go both ways on that one to an extent. I can see why some people don't like sim time necessarily counting as much, but I mean, every pilot goes through sim training for their recurrent or sim check for their recurrent training. So I'm not entirely opposed to the sim time. I, and I'll piss off some pilots. I'm sure I still think the 1500 hour rule is weird. And the obsession with that's why we're safe and haven't had a crash is bad data. But I, 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 I think so for the sim time, I mean, I think uh, and the way you kind of level it out and, and I think what two things, Here's my, my take on this. Um, one, I think we're already stretched thin for sims, right? Is that, isn't that my understanding that, like, to get pilots even re-upped, um, sim, sim time is, is stretched thin because there's just not enough sims to go around. And I, maybe I'm wrong on that, but. Um, I think it depends on the aircraft type, but yeah, that is a challenge. Um, and so I, I don't, I'm not opposed to, let's, like, I don't want to take up sim time to get, to the 1500 hours. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to let's, oh, well, don't, you know, I take away from yeah. existing pilots getting their recurrent or other exactly needs. Yeah. And then I think you could do it at a, at a multiplier level. So, you know, sim time is half of an hour of, you know, one hour of sim time is half of an hour uh, in playing time. I think yeah. that's, that's another way to do it. I know that that's how they were kind of doing it there for a while for private pilots. Um, I'm not sure if that's still the case. But then, you know, I think there's things like that. I, I, again, I don't know that flying in a circle above, you know, a Florida beach, uh, is, is a qualifier. I, I want muscle memory, right? In pilots. That's what, that's what the military aims for, right? Is they're looking for how do you react to a situation with muscle memory? Um, and, and just, you can do these tasks without having to, to commit thought to it. Um, I think that's, that's important. Um, so I, I'm not, I don't, I don't sway either way. I, but I think we need to be smart about it. Yeah. I will say, it, even as proposed, it was a limited amount. I think it was like 10% total could be sim time or something. Like that. So yeah. It was, and uh, that's fair. Uh, yeah. And for a significant amount of it to be whatever. But it was trying to make it a little easier and cheaper um, to get qualified, to get your hours. Also, I'm sure someone somewhere operating sims was lobbying in favor of it. So, you know. <laughs> the guy who... The guy who reintroduced the text to put the age 67 rule in, his brother is a pilot for Delta. And is, is he 66? Uh, he's like 64 <laughs> right now. He's, in it, he's, he's getting close. It, there's clearly some value to his family for getting this passed. So that, that's raised some eyebrows for sure. Um, lastly, as a, as a main topic in our, our main show, uh, let's talk about the XL, uh, A321 XLR, um, and the range, uh, or lack. No, we're going to have okay. to Yeah, well, haha. <laughs> uh, this is sort of a long time coming. Um, and now we finally have an answer, which is basically 
the fuel tank, the extra fuel tank that they're going to put at the back of the mm-hmm. plane sits under seats for part of it. And so the EASA was, and the FAA by extension, but mostly EASA was requiring it to be properly insulated and protected. So if there's a incident that doesn't sort of burn the people sitting above it and they went back and forth and they figured it out and they came up with a plan, but that plan is going to weigh 400 kilograms more than Airbus had hoped. And now they're saying that knocks a couple hundred miles off the range. Hmm. So keeping in mind that no one ever flies a plane to its full range, yada, 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 not great news if you are uh, Airbus and now you got to go back and tell all these airlines that have been working on, you know, even with limits and even with, you know, uh, fuel reserves and all that other stuff, this is how far we think we can get. You know, if you're JetBlue and you thought name airport in vaguely central Europe might or further south in Western Europe is f- suddenly accessible, having those disappear because you're 200 miles short now. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you think, I mean, do you think you're going to see airlines, you know, say we, we not, we're not going to honor the agreement. We're going to pull out of these orders because of this. <laughs> yeah. I was saying in some cases they were offering three thirties instead. Uh, I can't imagine that actually happens. Can you, if, that's a lot of, that's a lot of capacity difference there. <laughs> yeah. And that's the problem. And, Especially for airlines that don't already have a wide body operation, different pi- different pilot training, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think lastly, I mean, Foz actually, Foz was able to join us, but he just shared something uh, with us, um, and it's a it's a Delta seven six seven three hundred that was flying from Milan to JFK, um, and was was climbing out of Milan and encountered severe turbulence and hail. Um, and the crew declared an emergency, reporting severe turbulence and a cracked windshield. So they stopped their climb about the flight level 230, so 23,000 feet, and they diverted to Rome. And it, the plane landed, it was about an hour after departure. No injuries, but the aircraft um, sustained extreme damage, like punctures of the right-hand wing, punctures of both engine spinners, damage to both engine fan blades, a punctured radome. Uh, dense along the leading edge of the wing. Like, uh, this is, I mean, it's bad. When you see the pictures, you're, you're kind of, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. This is, I mean, literally, you can see the radar inside the radar. This isn't dented in nicked paint. This is, there's a giant hole in the front. Of yeah. Uh, so this, this is when you fly around weather when departing an airport, typically. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, who knows what the, where it was and whatever the damaged fan blades is crazy too that's a, that's not an easy repair i mean I, do you have to take it off the wing to repair that uh the fan blades i think you have to take the engine off yeah to do the fan blades you might be able to do for some of the, the outer fan blades you might be able to do without taking it off but i don't think you could get to anything if anything got damaged inside you wouldn't be able to to do it on the wing yeah and you'd have to obviously do significant inspection to find out yeah and at that point you're better off just taking the engines off wow Assuming you've got two spares that you can get to Emory. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, it's wild. Um, they, me and just the amount of work I have to go into the leading edge of those wings. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. Um, so I mean, they, they the weather radar because of the uh, from what I'm reading, like the weather radar became in inoperable after this, which is probably the one reason they immediately diverted. Uh, not to mention all the other damage, but 
uh, the cracked windshield. But I mean, the fact that they, they wouldn't have been able to continue without the weather, weather radar, as far as I know. So, um, yeah, interesting, crazy, crazy stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's it for the main show. Um, I want to say thanks to, yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to say thanks to, uh, traveling well for becoming a Patreon subscriber and supporting the show. And uh, to our rest of our listeners, we're going to talk about Avios uh, and uh, what that means for BA and what they're doing. And uh, Jordan's new uh, low-cost carrier boost and some of the challenges there for our Patreon subscribers. So stick around for that. Um, but thanks for listening to the show, and we'll talk to you next time. Happy travels. Take care.